0: God, as we uh, open your word uh, together now, we ask that you would help us to be attentive to you, to your word, to your will, and to your way. Uh, Shape us, mold us, uh, conform us into the image of uh, the one you love, our Savior, your Son, Christ the Lord. We pray these things in his name. Amen. So uh, grateful for uh, the kids, the students, and their behind-the-scenes adults who uh, gave us a great reminder of the fact and the reality that in so many ways in our culture and our time, uh, Jesus is forgotten or neglected or sometimes intentionally ignored uh, throughout our culture's uh, Christmas, holidays, December, the whole ball of wax. And while uh, people in our country and culture are, of course, free to celebrate uh, whoever and however and whenever they want, our focus continues to be, or we try to keep it, in the midst of all of that, on Jesus, who for us is the center not just of Christmas, but the center of all things, every day, every year, every facet of our lives. I read recently that the, fasting grow, the fastest growing religion in the world today is consumerism. Buying, acquiring, consuming things and consumerism really is and can be come like a religion and things can become like God's. So said Jesus more than once in warning us about our life and our relationships with things. But our focus here this evening is not on all of the little things that creep up and become God's to us, but on the one true God of the universe and of all time who entered our world through Bethlehem in a manger, in a stable, in the story that we all know so well. Kyle and then uh, Maggie read uh, the first. 20 or so verses of the Gospel of Luke, we are familiar with that part of Jesus' story. Most of us know it well. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken, and on and on. Joseph gets his uh, travel orders, goes to Bethlehem, the city that his people were from. His wife, or soon-to-be wife, gives birth. We know how that whole story goes. Shepherds, angels singing, worship. It was a glorious day. It was a glorious night. But behind it all, I've asked myself why, and you may have asked yourself why. It has become for us very much a cultural story that's a part of the fabric of the world in which most of us have grown up. But what is behind the stories? What is the why of the stories? What is the why of the shepherds and the angels and Mary and Joseph and Bethlehem? Why later on the magi and the star? The gospel writers, Matthew and Luke, uh, insert into their accounts in different ways the reason for all of the action that we have celebrated this Lord, that the baby would be Savior, that He would come to uh, save us from our sin, that He would be King, that He would fulfill so much of what was written in the Old Testament in the Jewish Scriptures. Matthew and Luke in their gospels weave some of these things into the fairly compact uh, sections that they dedicate to Jesus' birth. But the gospel writer John does things very differently. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic gospels. They're very similar or synonymous. But John writes about 30 years later, and he takes a really different tack in writing his gospel. He's writing to Greek-speaking and Greek-thinking people, and so he has more of a global or uh, cosmic or intergalactic, international perspective in his writing. And so in some ways, it fits much better with our minds that are so much bigger in some ways than the people who originally read the stories of Matthew and Luke in the first century. John begins his story way back, not in uh, a century or two before Jesus or a century or three, but way back in the beginning of all things. He begins his gospel with these words. In the beginning, the very beginning... In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made through Him. By Him, nothing was made that has been made. And He sort of starts from there and goes on to say, the Word became flesh. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through Him, the world didn't recognize Him. He came to that which was His own, but His own did not receive Him. The Word became flesh, and He made His dwelling among us. We've seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And that's chapter 1 of John's Gospel. But fast forward to chapter 3, and we get to a story that some of us are familiar with, and you've heard echoed already a couple of times this morning. Jesus uh, encounters a very curious man, a seeker. He was a Pharisee, which means he was very religious, almost a fundamentalist, a high regard for God in the Scriptures. And very serious about his faith. And Nicodemus comes to Jesus in cover of darkness because he's a little afraid to be seen with Jesus. And he asks Jesus some questions. Jesus answers his questions in sometimes direct and some round, sometimes roundabout ways. And then Jesus says these very familiar words, popularized or made very familiar to us over the last 50 years by people like Billy Graham and a guy named Rollin Stewart. Are they up there? Yeah, Billy Graham, who's kind of one kind of person, and then Rollin Stewart, some of you may have been familiar with in the 70s and 80s, showed up to NBA and NFL games with uh, Rainbow Afro and John 3.16 on his shirt. John 3.16 reads like this. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. And so why? Why did God send His one and only Son to earth, to Israel, to Mary, to Joseph, to shepherds and wise men, and to us? Because God so loved the world. Because God dearly loved the world. Because God is love as John writes in one of his later letters. Why did God do this? Why did God send Jesus? Because he loved the world, because God is love. Why would God send his one and only son? Because God is love. This is your refrain. Because God is love. Why would God seek to redeem people from the pit? We'll do that again. Why did God seek to redeem people from the pit? Why would God seek to be reconciled with those who had rebelled against him? Why would God offer to such people life and grace and mercy and tenderness and peace and hope and love? Because. And there are three points I want to make out of just those, that verse and the one that comes after it during our time. First. Jesus explaining, giving explanation and reason to his incarnation, to his coming, to his advent, to his arrival. Jesus giving explanation in the backstory to Mary and Joseph and Bethlehem and stars and shepherds and wise men and angels. Why did Jesus come? Why did God send him? Because God is love, because God loves us, because God loves the world. And so when John says God loves the world, Point one is that God loves you. God loves every one of us. And I don't know how you take that, hear that, if it's just John three 3.16 again, as it's recited from Billy Graham or uh, Rollins Stewart or Walter or the Jesus in the figure. But the message is very true. And this is the core of the Christian faith, that God loves the world. And that means that God loves every one of us. God loves us when we're messed up, when we're broken. God loves us in our incompleteness. God loves us in our anger. God loves us in our frustration. God loves us when we're good. God loves us when we're bad. God loves us in our poverty. God loves us in our wealth. God loves the homeless people. God loves those who have everything. Who have PhDs from Harvard. Who have first grade educations. God loves us when we're stigmatized. God loves us when we're traumatized. God loves us when we reject Him. God loves us when we embrace Him. God loves us when we live out our faith in a religious manner. God loves us when we live out our faith in irreligious manners. God loves us through thick and thin, through all of the seasons of our lives. God loves us when we're depressed, when we're alone, when we're bitter. God loves us and has mercy on us in all of those situations. This is who God is. There are no conditions, no strings attached. The people on the side of the train tracks, the people under the bridge, the people who live in mansions, the people who have no regard for God, God loves them. God loves every one of us. Love in the, the scriptures doesn't mean a romance, it's not about feelings, it's about his intention of good, of well being of wanting shalom, of giving, of generosity. I think many of us live in both fear and we live in with reservations, not fully exposing to one another, even the people who are closest to us, what's really going on inside lest they know who we really are. God knows who you really are and how you are and where you've been and what you've done and what you think about and what your intentions are, and what you intend to do and never do. And God loves you, every one of you, every one of us, fully and completely in that. That's point number one. The second point is that God, Jesus says, so love the world. This word world in the scriptures and right here is very interesting. It's the word cosmos. And Cosmos, uh, in in John's gospel, means two things. First of all, it means uh, all those people who are opposed to God, who are different than God, who uh, are the opposite of his kingdom, who stand in the way of what God intends. They are the world. They are the worldly. They are the other. And then there's another sense in John's gospel that world also means just everybody, inclusive of absolutely everyone. But Jesus is explicit here that his love, God's love, the Father's love is not just for us, not just for me. And if it's not just for me, it's also for my enemy. It's for the people on the other side of the fence, the, other, the people on the other end of the spectrum. It's for people who offend me, people who are different than me, people who I don't want to forgive, people who I refuse to forgive. God's love is for those people on the other side of the fence, in the other country, everyone you've painted as evil, bad, wrong, unacceptable, not good, not loved, not lovable, not even likable, God loves them just as much as he loves us. So the point is, if we want to welcome and embrace the God who loves us, we have no choice but to also embrace the God who loves all people Whether they are straight or crooked, whether they are right or left, whether they are right or wrong, God loves all. And so to welcome and embrace the love of this God means to embrace his love also for all people which has the power to transform us, to change the way we live, to change who we are, to change how we are, not just our worldview, but to transform us from the inside out. Anne Lamott, who's a Bay Area author, once wrote, you know that you have made God in your own image when God hates the same people that you hate. And the inverse is true. We know that we've come to, to be in a relationship with the one true God when we love the people whom the one true God loves, which is everyone, which has the power to change us. Now, the third thing is a little bit different. Uh, Jesus says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And for Jesus, eternal life is not just about quantity but also about quality. And for Jesus, eternal life doesn't just have to happen then after we die when we're done with these bodies and they put us in the grave or they incinerate us. But rather, eternal life is this reality in which we live with God being king in our present lives now and into the eternity of time. For God so loved the world that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting or eternal life. Whoever believes in him. So, we use the word believe fairly cheaply in the English language. Uh, we believe in ourselves, we believe in one another. You, you might believe in your teammates, a coach has said. If you go to Macy's uh, downtown this evening in Union Square in San Francisco, you'll look over to the south and see Macy's, the big facade. Believe is Macy's announcement. Believe requires an object. Believe in your clothes, believe in your purse, your wallet, your shoes from Macy's. Believe in your CEO, believe in the free markets, believe in capitalism. What am I believing in? What am I called to believe in? But we had this generic and very weak understanding, I would say, of the word weak, of the word believe. But when Jesus uses this word, he's using a Greek word, "pistuo." Say that with me, "pistuo." And the word pistuo is sometimes translated into English as believe, sometimes as have faith, and sometimes as to trust or to put one's confidence in. And to believe something like we stand up and say, I believe that or I believe in you or I believe that can happen is one thing. But to trust is a completely different thing. Now Dallas Willard says, We don't believe something by merely saying we believe it, or even when we believe that we believe it. We believe something when we act as if that thing were true. In other words, we trust it. We really do believe it to the degree that we trust it. So, do I believe the chair will hold me when I sit down? Yeah, I believe. I also trust. Do I believe this chair has the power, the strength, The integrity to hold me if I stood on it. I do. Yeah, I do. I believe that and I trust it. It's pretty trustworthy. But trust, as Willard says, is a whole different thing and a whole different realm that we enter. (laughs) (laughs) Oh! To believe Jesus is one thing. To believe in Jesus is one thing. To trust Jesus. To trust that he was who he said he was. To trust that he's right. To trust in his love. To trust in his way. To follow him. To believe in a way that we live as if everything that Jesus said about himself and about reality is true, is a whole different ballgame. To believe Jesus when he says that the way to life is through death, that the way to eternal life is to give away everything that you have and sell things and give them to the poor, to believe him when he says forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive and this is the way to life eternal and abundant is a whole different thing, but a phenomenally wonderful thing. And to this we are called for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son which we celebrate at Christmas that whoever believes or has faith or trusts will have a kind of life and a quality of life and a realm of life that Jesus calls eternal and abundant. And all of that is available to us this evening. Wherever we are, whoever we are, however we are. That is his invitation. That is why God sent his son. That is why we have Christmas. That is why the prophetic words came from the prophets. That is why star, angels, Mary, Joseph, wise men, Bethlehem, manger, cradle, baby boy. That we might have life in his name and in his way because we are loved. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Loving Father, help us to remember the birth of Jesus that we may share in the song of the angels and the gladness of the shepherds and the worship of the wise men. Help us to close the doors of hate and open the doors of love, your love all around the world. May kindness come with every gift and good desires with every greeting this evening, tomorrow, and beyond. Deliver us from evil by the blessing which Jesus brings into our life and to the world. Forgive our sins as we forgive one another. Teach us to live in your joy, trusting that you are the way and the truth and life. May Christmas morning make us happy to be your children, May Christmas evening bring us to our beds with grateful hearts, forgiving and being forgiven, living in the reality of your kingdom, which is coming and coming and coming. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.